listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. All right, so we are jumping into the book of Colossians under a series called It's All About Jesus. And we, um, we're really excited about this. I hope that you are. And even as we've just read the entirety of the Word of God uh, written to the Colossians in those four chapters, it's my hope that as we walk slowly through this over the next few months, that it be an encouragement to your heart and that it would challenge you to live a life that is worthy of such an ambitious statement. It's all about Jesus. The book of Colossians is a small epistle. It's a letter that had been written to a group of folks who were in a place called Colossae, and it was written by Paul when he was in prison. He also wrote the book of uh, at least Ephesians uh, at that time while he was in prison. Uh, And... Um, Philemon, and uh, maybe even Philippians, some would say, but at the end of the day, Paul's imprisoned and he's writing to a church, and the letter that he's writing to this church is meant to say exactly that. It is all about Jesus. The Christians who lived in the small city of Colossae uh, received this letter probably at about A.D. 60, which if you're doing your math and Jesus died at 33 years and it was marked at, uh, the date is marked at the time of his birth in 27 or so years later, maybe 30 years, we don't know exactly the time, uh, but there's been a church that was planted in Colossae, which is in the Asian, uh, the Roman province of Asia. And so you have these Christians who are about 100 uh, miles from a larger, more uh, influential city called Ephesus, which we know that the book of Ephesians was written to the Christians who were in Ephesus. And they received this letter. There are probably only 7,500 people in the town. It's a relatively forgotten about town. And uh, not to put down any of your uh, hometowns if you just so happen to be from here, but it'd be as if we are all in Ventura and this letter had been written to Phelan. Most of us don't know where Phelan is. (laughs) Phelan is just outside Victorville, Wrightwood, San Bernardino Mountains. It's a place where there's a very small number of people who live there, but in God's providence, because he's reaching people at the four corners of the earth and the gospel goes everywhere, Paul actually met someone in Ephesus, that great city that we would be our Ventura, or if we're, you know, want to even compare it to the larger Los Angeles, Paul met a man there, he preached the gospel to him, and that man went back to Colossae and told people about Jesus, and a church was born. And so the letter that we are going to jump into and are already jumping into, we find delivered in the context of really just an encouragement that's going to a relatively small number of people. And it opens up and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, 
to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Today I want us to actually answer a question. I want to answer the question that some of you have already asked by seeing such a provocative statement on the screen, and that all of us, doesn't matter if you're a child here or you've been walking with Jesus for longer than I've been alive, all of us should be asking the question, why? Why is everything and everywhere and every place, every life that is to be lived, why is it about Jesus? Why is the right priority of every life that is lived about Jesus? Why is every place on God's green earth about Jesus? And, and, and why would we say that everything is about him? When you hear such a statement and even see it and just see the, the, the boldness with which it is written, I want you to be struck by the fact that it's spoken with conviction and confidence and authority. And I want you to be wondering whether or not that really is true. And if you just so happen to be here today and can say in your heart of hearts that you don't think it is, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And we hope that this time, not the next few months, but just the next few minutes, would actually put Jesus on display as the one who is and was and is to come, that everything is in subjection to him. Because we're saying it's all about him. I'm going to actually split this up into three very simple points. It's going to be all about Jesus today for three reasons. Because it's all about God, because it's all about God's people, and because it's all about God's grace. So I want you to join me in being ready to turn through your epistle or flip thumb through. Maybe you have a phone in front of you, or most of us, we have that scripture journal that's been given to us. I want you to be able to turn with me and to measure out some of those things as we just look at a, a medley of scripture. Today's sermon is probably different than most of the sermons we'll preach where we are leaning really heavy on the word of God today. Not as many of my words, but much more of what the word of God says to us is the point uh, and where the points will be made. And so I want us to see, number one, that it's all about Jesus because it, everything, everywhere, every place, every life is about God. Paul starts out and he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And from that, I want us to see that, that God has a will and his will and his purpose is the redemption of his people. And since God has a will and he has a purpose and it's redemption, God's plan is the supreme thing. God's plan his redemption is the supreme theme. Not only th does Paul say he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in verse 27 of verse or chapter 1, he says that God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory, the mystery, Christ in you writing to a group of Christians who are in a Roman province of Asia. The gospel has spread from Jerusalem, and it's made itself a lot further east, or made its way a lot further east. And now there are people who are receiving this letter in their little forgotten about town, and it says that God chose to make known how great 
Among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery of Christ. As we walk through this, we're going to learn what is the mystery of Christ. Who is Christ? And what is the glory? And what is the glory of all that? But just for today, would you recognize with me that what God has put together is this redemptive plan that doesn't make sense to those who would be naysayers, but it is infinitely wise and it's unstoppable. If you've been walking with us through our journey in the book of Acts and our gospel communities, you know that no matter what we're talking about on what day, all we're saying is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church that is born out of it, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is unstoppable and reverberates throughout the world. God has a redemptive plan that includes that. If you get to chapter 2 and verse number 13, it says this, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses. When I say it's all about God, he's talking about our redemption and our salvation in a manner that put God on display, not us. What did he say there? He said that God made us alive together and forgave us of all of our sin. It's all about Jesus because we receive forgiveness and redemption through him. And God has given us that as a a, a wonderful gift, and it even expresses itself in these words that we don't quite understand in our context, the uncircumcision of your flesh and being made alive together with him. But we do know what it means to be forgiven all of your trespasses. You might be here today and you might be thinking about the sins that you committed in the year 2019. Thinking about a happy new year and a new resolution and a new commitment that you have as you walk into 2020. But I cannot tell you, friends, the good news is not that you can get yourself together this year. The good news is that he has forgiven you of all of your trespasses, past, present, and future. God, God has done that. And he's given us some gifts alongside of just what we know as his redemptive plan. And a couple of those gifts are grace and peace. He opened up and he said, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. The grace of God, we'll talk a little bit more about in a moment, but the grace of God has given us a peace with him. If you ever think about what it means that the difference between the Christian religion, if you can call it that, And every other religion is that we proclaim that we have a relationship with God, the creator of heaven and earth. I used to do evangelism to Muslims, and I would go into uh, the places of their prayer, and I would meet with them. And the one thing they never understood is how blasphemous I could be to say that I have a relationship with God. Where do you get that from? Why do you believe that you have a relationship with God? It was because the word of God tells me time and time and time again, including in the book of Colossians, that through Jesus, God reconciled me to him, making peace by the blood of Christ. A relationship with God is what we all need. It's the only thing that we need. And it only comes by knowing Jesus Christ. And so it's all about Jesus, all about God, because in him we have been restored 
to our right place of relationship. You know, God created us to be in relationship with him, to take all of our counsel from him. It wasn't just when there came some time where God had to tell us what to do and what not to do as you walk through some of the Old Testament laws and things. No, it was before that. Adam and Eve, they took every one of their bits of counsel and direction and do this and do that, name these animals and eat this and enjoy that, be fruitful and multiply. Everything came from God because they were in relationship with him. But the serpent deceived the woman and sin separated us. And so it's good news when you can come here and you can have somebody say grace and peace from God our Father and know that Jesus Christ has actually brought us that. And now that peace means that we have a restored relationship with God the Creator. He's not only given us that gift, he's given us, we'll learn in the book of Colossians, he's given us the gift of the Word. And can I just tell you, friends, that this book, translated into English and dumbed down for us to be able to understand it, maybe in a different translation in your lap, a portion of it there in a scripture journal or on your phone, the 66 books that are contained in the Holy Scriptures is the very Word of God and it is a gift to you. God's Word, chapter 1 and verse 25, Paul says he's a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him to make the word of God fully known. He wasn't trying to make it known that he was in prison or that he was an apostle or that he's so good or that he's accomplished much. He cared that the word of God would spread. But later in the epistle, in verse 16 of chapter 3, he says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. For Paul, the word of God is the word of Christ. They are inextricably tied. And at the end of the day, when we think about the word, we need to see that God speaks to us. You guys know I always like doing that. It's like lips, right? If you want to hear from the Lord, all you got to do is open up this Bible and God speaks to us. He speaks to us today. If you have questions about what to do and how to live and what God's will is, this book will not misguide you. And the book of Colossians is actually one of the books in the Bible, which is just a library or a collection of 66 books. It's been given to us as a grace. And chapter 4, verse 3 says this, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for our ministry. A door for us to spread news about our new church plan. A door for what? A door for the word. He says that he would open a door for the word, and then he says what the word is to declare the mystery of Christ. And I might make it clear that I would speak this, that everything that comes from me uh, in my words while I'm imprisoned or wherever, uh, when I get out of uh, prison and I go somewhere else or when I send other people, pray that God would open up a door for the word of God. It's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about his word. Another reason why it's all about God is because Jesus is God in the flesh. 
Maybe you're familiar with the book of Colossians and you know that it opens up with this run-on sentence of these amazing things that Paul just lost himself in chapter 1. And he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things are created. And he goes on and on and on and on. He proclaims all these things about Jesus Christ and calls him God. He's God in the flesh. Verse 19, he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. It's all about Jesus because it's all about God, and Jesus is God, friends. By the time you move down to chapter 2 and verse 9, he makes it clear and says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of Yahweh, God, creator of heaven and earth and all of universe is in Jesus Christ. He brought that. If you were listening on Christmas Eve, Burke, he, he, uh, he just quoted from uh, uh, whatever his name is. I can't think right now, but he quoted from the message the fact that it says that God uh, took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's what happened in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he took on flesh and moved into our neighborhood and did what we call or what the Old Testament saints would have called tabernacled with us. He brought the presence of God to us in his body. That's who Jesus Christ is. He's not just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a a man who studied and and learned a lot from his rabbis. He was God in the flesh, and he still is. Not only is Jesus God in the flesh, but Jesus is God's true religion. Verse 21 of chapter 1 says this. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You know, God had instituted these religious practices to set his people apart. You had these Old Testament practices like the observance of the Sabbath, like celebrations, like the sacrificial system, or even circumcision. And Paul's writing to this Gentile, primarily Gentile church. There are some Jewish believers there, but for the most part, people who are not uh, Jewish uh, believers, but are being told by those who would be false teachers and are trying to lead them to believe, you got to do Jesus plus this in order to be saved. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus a celebration. Jesus plus Uh, Sabbath observance. Paul's writing to the Colossians to combat that heresy and that false teaching and to say, no, Jesus is the true religion. It's interesting to me that while people, I think, always add to the law, and they did, as even God's people, if you would, in the Old Testament, add to the law, but just because people do that, doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law. People always add to the law, but Jesus has fulfilled the law. Verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 11, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh. 
not about hap- what happened with your hands or to you on the outward. He says that Jesus Christ circumcis- circumcised you with a circumcision that's without hands by putting off the body of flesh. He said in verse number 14, or how about I just read all the way through? Putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. When you think about the law, it's a legal demand. And in order to be justified, you have to meet this legal standard. And history would tell us that no one could ever do that, even the most sincere and the quote-unquote most righteous. But then God comes in the person of Jesus Christ, fulfills and keeps the law perfectly, and does that as a substitute for those who believe. There was a sacrificial system that reminded them of the fact that they could not keep the law. And so they had to kill animals on a regular basis to sacrifice birds and and, and goat and lambs and rams. They had to do it repeatedly, over and over and over again. And then one day, John came walking out of the wilderness and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we find When we come to Colossians and he says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. He set the law, the legal demands, and all that stood against us to condemn us aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus is God's true religion. Verse number 17 said that all those festivals and moons and new moons and celebrations and Sabbath and even circumcision and things that we eat or don't eat, all that stuff was just a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. It's one thing to say that he fulfilled the law. It's another thing to say that he is the substance of the things that pointed to what God was after in the first place. Eternal rest with God. Maybe a diet that set a, set a people apart. All those things, Christ is the substance. We no longer have to go back and try and earn our way to him by keeping a religion. And so it's all about Jesus because it's all about God who has a plan, who gives us gifts, and at the end of the day, who was Jesus Christ in the flesh, God's true religion. The next reason that it's all about Jesus is because it's all about God's people. If you were to read through the book of Colossians, you find very quickly that it's actually written to God's people. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, circle that, to the saints and faithful brothers, circle that, in Christ at Colossae. The saints and the faithful brothers, that's the church. Those are God's people. And guess who they represent under the sound of my voice? 
You may consider yourself to be a sinner. You may consider yourself to be a person who is worthless. But in Jesus Christ, God calls you a saint. They may have been in Colossae so far off and so far gone and not otherwise thought of. But God sent a word to them that would come to us so long later, preserved as the word of God, that they read in their houses and homes and just were excited to receive this. And the first thing they read is that he calls us saints, saints and faithful brothers. The church is God's people. And if you've never understood this, let me just explain to you how God's people are in Jesus Christ. God's people are in Jesus. Between verses 1 and 21 and down to 2.12, we hear these things, seven different things that have to do with our new place in Christ. He says that we are reconciled in him, verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says that we ought to walk in him. Then he goes on and says that we should be rooted or we are rooted and that we be built up in him, filled in him. He begins to close. We just read that he says that we're circumcised in him. He also said in verse number 12 of chapter 2, having been buried with him in baptism, you're also raised with him. We've been baptized in Christ. We've been buried with him. And he ends it all by saying that we were resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. So why is it all about Jesus? Because the best thing you can ever do in your life is attach yourself to him. By faith, be found in him. And if you be found in him, you will not be found alone. You will be found in company with the saints for whom his blood was spilled. One thing we ought to know is that our relationship with God is made visible in our relationship with one another by now. We launched and went straight into a one another series where we said things like you can't even obey 90% of the, of the New Testament commands to you without another person because the Christian life cannot be lived out in isolation. True or not true? The one another commands... And encouragements are those things where we actually get to see that we have a new life in Christ because we have a new relationship with God through Jesus and we are tied inextricably to one another in him as a family on this earth. I can't say that I love God who I've never seen if I don't love my brother who's standing right in front of me. The litmus test of our faith and our place in Christ comes down to our relationship with one another. And Paul makes that very clear in chapter 3, beginning in about verse 5. We read it, and you guys heard it. You need to put off things like sexual immorality, impurity, coveting, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lies, racism, ethnocentrism, classism, legalism. Those things don't belong here because you belong to one another. Do not lie to one another is what it says. The reality is, is when he calls us to put things off, he's talking about our collective life in Christ together. And so it really comes down to the fact that this isn't just about you. It's about us. It's about our life together. 
It's all about Jesus because it's all about God's people together in him. And so instead of living in our old dead way, we put those things off and he calls us to instead put on hearts of compassion, 312, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness, love, and unity. He tells us to instruct and admonish one another. In verse number 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, plural, to which you were called in one body. It wasn't written to one individual. It's not about you and your own single ambition. It's about us. It's about togetherness. It's about being in one body. You're called together as one. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, plural. It's all about Jesus because it's all about God's people, but finally it's all about Jesus because it's all about God's grace. If you open up the letter and it says grace to you and peace from God our Father, And you turn to the last verse in the book, and it says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You realize that for Paul, the beginning and end of all things is God's grace. The beginning and end is God's grace. Grace is the salutation, and it's the signature of this letter. So when we say it's all about Jesus... And we say it's all about Jesus because it's all about God's grace, which we only find in Jesus Christ. Then it's easy to see that everything in between, everything in between is about the grace of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ. A transforming grace that would turn us from being rebels to those who are the redeemed and called saints who love one another dearly. Grace fills everything in between. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm I'm jumping out for the first time, and it'll be the only time, I promise you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 uh, says that there are only three things that remain. It's faith, hope, and love. Paul also wrote that. In some ways, I like to say 1 Californians because they just are just like us. First and second Corinthians is a letter that will just bewilder you as to how he wasn't writing that to us. But in it, he says that there are only three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. You cannot have faith and hope or love without grace. Let me say it again. You cannot have faith, hope, or love without grace. Faith, we heard about so clearly last week. Our brother Dan preached to us eloquently and just simply helped us to understand what faith is and the fact that God has called us to it. He even helped us to see it's not just the wishful thinking out there in the earth, but it actually causes me to live a certain way. Faith is a gift of God's grace. The hope that you have that even though this life is on a downward spiral toward ending, And that even though this world that we live in is a hurt and a broken world, God is going to one day redeem it all and bring with him salvation and eternal security forever and ever and ever for all who trust in him. That hope, oh my goodness, is only an act of grace. That is grace. That's God's grace. Because that means I don't have to walk around condemned thinking about the things that I did in 2019. The things that I did beyond that, the things that may befall me this week. 
God has given us grace and love. Man, the, the experience of the love of God that has put me into kind of this, this love triangle with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that I am beloved, he says in Colossians 3 and verse 12, therefore, beloved, those, those of who have, like, that Christ has spilled his blood for and reconciled and restored and redeemed, he calls us beloved. That the love that we experience from God, that's grace the love that we experience from one another. That's grace. You cannot have faith, hope, or love without grace. But Steve, why did you bring that up? Well, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 3 down to 6, which we're going to get to more in depth next week, hinges all of these things on grace. We always thank God the Father our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith. Okay, hold on, let's go back. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood what? The grace of God in truth. The grace of God in truth. Paul says that the gospel is bearing fruit and it's increasing in your church and your faith, hope, and love is known about you. I'm miles and miles and miles away and I'm in jail. And I know about your faith, your hope, and your love. The Ephesians, they know about you 100 miles away. Because they know about your faith, hope, and love. He says that because the grace of God is at work in your church and in the world. Friends, the main point of this sermon is simply that it's all about Jesus because everything in God's creation hinges on the grace of God, and we only find that in Jesus Christ. Everything in God's creation hinges on the eternal grace and peace that Jesus brings to the world. Do you know that grace? Are you in a relationship with God through that man, Jesus Christ? Have you come to know him in the fellowship of the kind of love we're talking about? in a saving way? Brothers and sisters, 2019 was a sobering year. Here we are, first Sunday, 2020. You look back on 2019, you may have even some regrets. I think as I reflected, I could see that it was a wonderful 12-month journey with God, but it was a wild one. That was a wonderful time that we lived and that we've come out of. But it was definitely a wild one. For me personally, and your, your year may not have been the, you know, specifically as uh, wild or sobering as mine was, but one thing that it sobered me up to realize that I can commend to you and I hope you can agree with it is that as I've looked through all the surveys and I've studied all the science, it truly is true. 10 out of 10 people die. 
I saw a lot of death in 2019 that just did not make sense. We come into this year and we're still experiencing these things. Last week, we took communion and we all loved that and we're grateful for that because we do it every week in this church. You step down into church in Texas and as communion was served there, there was somebody there who thought that was a great opportunity to take a life and to take another life and eventually have his life taken. I, I just think that we have to realize that the uncontested reality is that all of us, all of us, have been given these gifts to live today, but tomorrow is not promised. Like I say, your year may not have been like my year, but I can assure you that 2,020 years later means at least one thing. The hour is far spent. The hour is absolutely far spent. And Jesus Christ, the one who lives and brought these, this grace and all of these gifts and the one that we celebrate, he is coming back. He's coming back to receive all who believe in him and to take us to the place that will give us the eternal rest that we all long for. He is the object of our faith. It's in him that we put our hope. He's the one who loves us and that because he first loved us, we love him. And I just believe that we don't have a whole lot of time, that he's coming back. And so as you sit there and you listen, and maybe you think, man, Happy New Year sermon, and, and, and like Steve's always, whatever you may think, but I just want you to think about those empty seats next to you that I keep talking to you about. I want you to think about those friends and family members who think you're an absolute fool for being here at 5.30 on a Sunday afternoon with the perfect weather. The people who your neighbors cannot understand why you put so much stock into gathering with people on Sunday and going into places throughout the middle of the week and talking to them about Jesus and so on and so forth. I want you to think about them and think about whether or not you really agree with the reality that Jesus is coming back to get his people, but also to come back and to destroy the world and everything and everyone who's in it who don't believe in him. This needs to be the year where we make commitments like I'm preaching like a dying man to dying men. This needs to be the, the year where we make commitments like I am not going to allow anybody to go down into destruction and be separated from God in hell forever unless they do it over my dead body. 2,020 years have elapsed from the time that God took on flesh, came to the earth as a baby to grow as a man and die as a substitute for all who believe in him. The hour is far spent. Do you know him? I am so glad that I can look around the room and I can give your profession of faith in Jesus Christ for the most of you without even having you to raise your hand or say, yes, I do. But I'm also convinced that there are some of us who just recently, this has become a reality for us and we're still working it out. There's some of us who are saying, yes, I, this, this, th that was what changed for me in 2019. That's the, that's the most exciting thing. My 2019 was absolutely great. The, the, the weight of my sin and the weight of my, the world and all the problems that are there, it came off my back like an 800-pound gorilla, and I feel so light. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But there's some of us 
you may still be unbothered by this. The hour's far spent. Today is the day of salvation. It's all about Jesus because it's all about God. It's all about God's people together in him. And it's all about the grace of God that comes to us in him. Today is the day of salvation. Friends, I'm going to keep with the theme of today. Don't put off for tomorrow what can be done today. If today is the day of salvation, you may not have tomorrow. This is an opportunity for you to give your life to Christ. And it will be the absolute best thing that you have ever done.